Chapter six of Save the Girls by Mason Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some Temptations of City Life, the Theatre, the Race Course, Street Flirtations, etc. One of the fruitful causes of prostitution is the love of dress, which in the breasts of so many women is the overpowering passion, and which leads such multitudes of them into careers of infamy many foolish girls have been led by this passion to sell their virtue for gold in order to possess the means of bedecking their bodies with gorgeous raiment these silly creatures envy the gaily flashily dressed courtesan whom they pass on the street and imagine that she is happy because of her magnificent apparel how little they realize what awful misery is disguised by her silks and velvets of course those who can ascribe their fall to a love of dress do not possess those strong virtuous instincts which would protect them against these temptations to unchastity many of them are girls of great personal beauty and moderate intellect they are born of humble parents reared in a modest simple way and do not possess the means of gratifying their taste for personal adornment large numbers of them are raised on the farm or in some quiet unpretentious country town or village they see about them those who can afford to dress elegantly and they morbidly contrast their own slender purses with those of their neighbors at the village dance they find their shabby attire contrasting unfavorably with the dresses of other guests by and by they drift to the city perhaps they go out to service or to clerk or so or perhaps with the false ideas of feminine independence which prevail they remain at home without useful employment a burden upon an overworked underpaid father they catch a glimpse of rich dressing at the theatre on the streets in the great storehouses of fashion in the elegant carriages which roll past them by and by they come to regard dress as the chief aim and object of woman's existence and to possess the means to gratify this passion they are ready to exchange their dearest treasure that most priceless jewel their virtue then the tempter comes along and finds an easy victim and the sad story ends in the house of shame many wives of men of moderate means clerks mechanics engineers and men of all kinds who receive wages sufficient to support themselves and their families in comfort but not in luxury have proved false to the men whose names they bore unfaithful to the sacred vows they took at the marriage altar and abandoned home and children in order to obtain the money with which to dress richly and extravagantly and to gain access to gay worldly society a few weeks ago american circles in paris were shocked beyond measure at the suicide of mrs annie wetmore who had become famous in the frivolous circles of the gay french capital for her rare beauty of face and figure her handsome dressing and her social indiscretions her career was a romantic one and carries a moral which should be heeded by those foolish women who are not satisfied with the love of a poor husband who find virtue in a cottage to be monotonous and who barter their souls and sacrifice their eternal welfare in order that they may enjoy a few short years of life amid the gilded trappings of vice and luxury her story can soon be told some fifteen years ago her ambition to shine in social life 
coupled with the beauty of her person and her natural sprightliness and vivacity secured her an easy admittance to the gay society of new york dazzled by social successes by the flattery of numerous admirers and the glitter of a gay life for which her early education and surroundings had not prepared her she lost all taste for the duties of her proper sphere as the wife of a poor but worthy clerk in the new york custom-house became estranged from her husband and finally abandoned her home and crossed the ocean to become the victim of a social tragedy the people who knew her well say that the motives which have guided her career for the past twelve years led naturally step by step to the bitter denouement many of the residents of stratford connecticut where the unfortunate woman passed her girlhood remember her as a maiden of rare attractions she was the daughter of william c doherty a commission merchant in that city she was a tall and slender brunette with lovely and expressive features exceedingly graceful in bearing vivacious in manner and sparkling in conversation among her many wooers was a gentleman who has since become very wealthy in new york and who still lives a bachelor some twenty-two years ago when she was nineteen years of age she was married to william wetmore son of the president of the new york juvenile asylum the fathers of the young couple were both in moderate circumstances but by combining the funds they had set apart for a wedding present they were able to present mrs wetmore with a comfortable cottage young wetmore was just entering business life as a poorly paid clerk in the custom-house his salary was barely sufficient to provide the necessities of life and for several years the young people were partly dependent upon the generosity of the elder mr wetmore the young wife her friends say early became discontented with the meagerness and poverty of her home she often upbraided herself with her folly in marrying a poor man and their straitened circumstances were the primal cause of the coldness that grew up between husband and wife mr wetmore moreover was a professor of religion had little or no sympathy with the social ambitions of his wife and wished her to go to religious meetings when she much preferred more sparkling and gayer society he desired besides to practise economy and by perseverance and self-denial to make his way while his wife was extravagant in her tastes and had no sympathy with her husband's aims after some seven years of unhappy married life spent in comparative seclusion mrs wetmore blossomed easily and speedily into a more congenial sort of existence as a society belle her circle of society friends were by no means the most exclusive and aristocratic set in new york but they were a gay lot wealthy and pretentious figured in all the leading events of the fashionable season and were altogether congenial to the tastes of mrs wetmore she was intoxicated with the homage done her beauty and gay social qualities she was one of the pets of the social circle which claimed her was in great demand at all the routs and dances of the season contrived to dress in accordance with the demands of her social position and encountered any number of admirers the devotion of some of whom was unmistakable this sort of life led her so completely away from her husband and home that the couple finally separated very quietly their paths thereafter led entirely apart 
wetmore came west to take a position on a railroad and mrs wetmore twelve years ago crossed the ocean alone and in an adventurous spirit in quest of new social worlds to conquer she was then about thirty years old and in the prime of her charms she has since lived in london and paris where she has been well known to the american colonies in those cities she made considerable impression in some of the gay circles of london and of late years has spent most of her time in the french capital about four years ago she returned to america for a short visit but was not content to remain long away from the gayer life of paris she was particularly proud of her list of titled acquaintances and the society to which she was admitted abroad was largely that in which the younger scions of noble houses were the bright particular lights it was while leading this butterfly life wholly devoted to society its conquests and its pleasures that mrs wetmore about three years ago first met the marquis of anglesey then lord henry paget who with the well-known susceptibility of the anglesey family became very much infatuated with the lovely american the marquis is one of the handsomest men in england and his devotion to mrs wetmore was by her sincerely encouraged it is said that she was not tempted merely by his title but that she passionately loved the man she told some of her intimate friends two years ago that nothing but the hateful tie which still bound her to william wetmore prevented her from being the wife of henry paget if this was true it was woefully unfortunate for her future that the obstacle of her former marriage stood in her way for being unable to legalize their intimacy mrs wetmore it is stated became the mistress of the marquis of anglesey and lived in splendid apartments in the same building which he occupied the relations between the two were very well understood by their friends but whether there was between them an engagement of marriage to be consummated when mrs wetmore had thrown off the yoke she bore seems in the minds of her new york friends to be involved in doubt they say however that she hoped for an honourable alliance with the marquis and they think she believed she would one day be his wife she learned with pleasure two years ago that her husband had begun a suit for divorce on the grounds of desertion he obtained a decree her father who has since died wrote her that if she desired he could have the decree set aside because she had not been notified of the suit she replied that she was more than satisfied with the course affairs had taken she could not however retain her supremacy over the marquis the members of the anglesey family have always been great gallants and have never been noted for constancy in their love affairs the intrusion of the honourable mrs woodhouse nay king of georgia into the affections which mrs wetmore had held drove the unfortunate woman to despair and she ended her life with poison in mrs wetmore's own words my fate should be a warning to american women who come abroad without their legitimate protectors the sad fate of this gifted and beautiful woman should certainly be a terrible warning to every one of her sex who allows a love of dress and gay society to dazzle her senses blind her judgment and obliterate in her mind the great distinctions between right and wrong too often weak parents encourage a love for dress in their daughters and the consequences are frequently of the most terrible nature 
dr dio lewis tells how three sisters were wrecked by this dangerous passion which their parents fostered and nurtured the story is a brief one and is so appropriate that i cannot forbear quoting it in full mr s had six daughters and they had the misfortune to be pretty as they grew up the clothes question became perplexing the father could feed his large family but not much more everybody said that if they could be handsomely dressed they would be the most attractive young ladies in the country it was a pity that they could not be fixed up in style the girls clamored for something decent to wear they were too beautiful to go out to service too ignorant to teach anything and too proud to learn trades as boys would have done there seemed nothing left but marriage they displayed their remarkable charms their father staggered under the load and these beautiful young creatures without trade or profession were compelled to bring every attraction to the counter at length mary who was understood to be engaged to a young man of means suddenly appeared with a silk dress and a gold watch her lover invited her to accompany him to new york to see his mother and to stay with her a few months that the family might become acquainted with her later the older sister was invited to visit mary who was still staying with her future mother-in-law susan went solemnly charged by her mother to write all about mary's friends and to let them know when mary was coming home to be married in due time the letter came full of disappointment and dark hints susan promised to return home at once the next letter did not arrive under a fortnight but when it did come it was full of delight with the city and all its wonderful sights a varying correspondence was kept up between the family and their daughters in new york when at length the girls came home visiting they were splendidly dressed the girls told us that mary's future mother-in-law had a brother who had brought oceans of money from the east indies and thought all the world of them and gave them everything they wanted at the end of a week the girls returned to new york they had hardly reached the city before their father who had followed them walked into their city home he knew but little of the world but he was not long in finding out the character of the house where his daughters were stopping in a long and painful interview they confessed all but refused to return home in the city they could go to the theatre and their friends gave them everything that heart could wish the father pleaded with tears and heart-breaking sobs but they could not think of going back the father threatened and started out for an officer when he returned the girls were gone and after staying about for two or three days he came back home bringing sorrow and shame to his household libertines soon began to call on the other girls the parents after anxious consultation with the minister and other friends resolved to take their family to wisconsin after some weeks of preparation consisting in part of the sale of household furniture to secure the needed funds the tickets were purchased and on a certain monday we gathered at the depot to see them off but where was nelly she was the fourth daughter and the most beautiful creature i ever saw we ran hither and thither but she could not be found while all were wild a young man came hurrying into the station who had met her driving away as fast as horses could fly with captain d a dissipated man of forty well known in the neighborhood the train came and went 
and the crushed parent sat in a corner unable to move or speak they returned to the house of a friend where they remained two or three days hoping to hear from nelly a letter came from her not to the family but to a girl in the village she wrote in the happiest temper said she was to be married to a nice man very rich and was then going abroad the captain swapped girls with a friend of his within a month and nelly soon went to new york then we lost sight of the family about two years afterward susan the second girl came back to our village but oh how changed she was far gone in consumption and confessed to our village minister that drink and the birth of a baby had killed her she brought sad news from beautiful nelly whose dissipated career was rapidly shortening her days the oldest sister had married a gambler and had been traded four times for the wives of other gamblers she was fading and had contracted a disease which had injured her voice new york consumes several thousand girls in this way every year dr lewis whose views upon this subject are certainly entitled to great weight thinks that the social evil can be reduced to small dimensions and eventually cured if girls will only learn remunerative trades as boys do the number of those who pursue a life of shame because they like it is comparatively insignificant but young girls thrown upon their own resources find themselves unable to supply their natural wants a hundred men stand ready to fill their treasury to overflowing if they will only consent that ten girls do not lapse where one goes astray is a triumphant proof of their innate chastity dr lewis wonders why more country girls who go to cities do not prefer the free independent healthful life of domestic service to the hard ill-paid unwholesome labors of sewing or clerking he adds what must be thought of the moral sense of these new england girls when it is truthfully stated that for one who leaves the position of sewing girl for the care of a kitchen ten leaves to serve as kept mistresses i have not known of a single one who with a true appreciation of the advantages has chosen the kitchen while i have known a number who have deliberately chosen to respond to the vile advertisements which appear daily in one of our papers under the head of personal those who allow themselves to sacrifice their virtue to gratify a love of dress and gay society are not entitled to the sympathy which we should accord to their erring sisters who have been driven to lives of infamy by grinding poverty or have fallen from their high estate through the devilish machinations of the libertine but at the same time i cannot refrain from asking the question hasn't society a great deal to do with the ruin of these foolish women doesn't society encourage all manner of extravagance in dress doesn't society prompt people of humble means to attempt a ruinous rivalry with their neighbors who possess longer purses doesn't society uphold the employer who discriminates so severely against women in the payment of wages doesn't society teach that certain occupations in which thousands of poor women could gain a decent and honorable livelihood are not respectable all these questions i fear can only be truthfully answered in the affirmative i will here take occasion to briefly refer to some frequent causes of women's ruin 
other than those i have written of in this volume many women have been led astray through the influence of the theatre the stage is seductive and inviting and young women cannot guard themselves too strongly against its allurements the drama is corrupt beyond measure and there seems little hope for its purification there are very few pure plays on the stage and they do not prove popular most of the successful plays of the present day are in the highest degree immoral the heroes and heroines are vile characters and the plots are so skilfully arranged as to gain for them the sympathy of the audiences the incidents are demoralizing the language is impure and unchaste the operas are even worse than the plays but in both the indecent display of the female form is made one of the chief attractions the burlesques and ballets and spectacles which are now all the rage are worse than either play or opera they are essentially indecent and degrading and should not be tolerated pure-minded young women cannot attend the theatre without contamination there they imbibe false ideas of life of society and religion which prepare their minds to succumb to the temptations of the seducer they listen to coarse vulgar language which at first brings the crimson blush to their maiden cheeks but with which they finally become familiarized they see immodest exhibitions of the feminine person and watch the development of vulgar and sensational plots at the theatre too they are thrown among worldly people and too often it is followed by the oyster supper the wine-glass the dance-house and finally the fall from virtue alas how many fallen creatures can date their ruin from their first visit to the theatre although the stage is sustained and patronized by many professing christians its influence is none the less pernicious and demoralizing for all that in fact it is thus only rendered more fascinating and hence more dangerous by the countenance it receives from such people and i cannot forbear raising my voice against it and warning young women who desire to remain spotless and blameless from visiting it it has in the past led many of their sisters into the pathway of shame and is still performing that dreadful work it has become very fashionable in our large cities for ladies to attend horse races many women who are active in the churches go to such affairs and take with them their daughters in this they do a great wrong and oftentimes the consequences are terrible they countenance by their presence such degrading vices as drunkenness and gambling they breathe an atmosphere at the race-track which no pure woman should inhale their ears are oftentimes saluted with the most frightful profanity and blasphemy the most shocking vulgarity and obscenity they are in the presence of gamblers saloon-keepers seducers libertines and in fact all the fast men in the community those who would have their wives and daughters and sisters live pure chaste virtuous lives should keep them away from the race-track for it is the scene of all kinds of temptations and its effect is demoralizing and brutalizing in the highest degree many promising young girls have been led astray by smooth-tongued fascinating strangers with whom they have become acquainted on the cars 
or by handkerchief flirtations on the streets or by answering personal advertisements in the newspapers no young woman should ever make the acquaintance of any man by these means the men who introduce themselves to girls on the cars who wave handkerchiefs at them in the streets who insert personal advertisements in the newspapers mean evil and nothing but evil no young woman who desires to retain her chastity her virtue her self-respect will notice them for a moment thousands of miserable outcasts have been brought down to their present level because when thoughtless maidens perhaps innocent schoolgirls they engaged in street flirtations or opened correspondence with strangers who advertised in the newspapers let a young woman be observed using her handkerchief in a street flirtation and her reputation will never again be what it has been her name will not be spoken by the young men and boys about town with respect but it will become the subject of jest and ribaldry all the temptations i have spoken of in this chapter are snares laid by wicked men for the purpose of entrapping innocent young girls they should shun these pitfalls as they would the serpent's bite and parents who desire to save their daughters from a fate which is worse than death should endeavor by every means in their power to keep them from falling into the traps thus cunningly devised for them End of chapter 6